This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg The FCPA Compliance Report is the longest-running podcast in compliance, engaging a wide variety of compliance-related guests and topics. Each week, Tom Fox brings you the top commentators and information which will inform your compliance program going forward. Join us again for the top podcast in compliance, hosted by the voice of compliance, Tom Fox. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me John Warren. John's the vice president and general counsel at the ACFE Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. John, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on. It's, uh, it's been too long, uh, but we're going to try to remedy part of that today by talking about the always great ACFE report to the nations this year for uh, the year 2020. So um, for those listeners who may not have heard our podcast around the 2018 report to the nations, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what the report to the nations is, why the ACFE does it? Sure. Uh, This is one of the big research projects that the ACFE focuses on. We do it every two years. And what it is, is a study of actual cases of fraud that our members investigate. We take a look back about two years or a year and a half, basically. We say, what's the, give us one case of fraud that you've investigated in this 18-month window and give us really detailed information about it. We ask, we don't ask for any identifying information, like we don't want company names or, or perpetrator names. But what we want to know is what was the industry of the company? Where was it located? What did the perpetrator, you know, what were their characteristics? Where did they work? How high up were they were? And then how did they do it? What did it cost? How did you catch it? And then how did you react? How did the company react to it afterwards? And the idea is, if we understand kind of the, the mechanics of these schemes in the aggregate and we understand sort of the demographics of the victims and the perpetrators, we can give people a better idea of where the risk is, you know, where they're likely to be uh, attacked, um, what their likely costs are going to be. And we also hopefully enable them to benchmark themselves against other organizations that are kind of in their in similar situation that they are in. John, uh, the report this year comes in at a little over 80 pages. It is an incredibly comprehensive report. We're not going to be able to, uh, nor should we go through it all. We are going to link to it in the show notes, and I hope our listeners will uh, download it and read it, read it because it's got uh, just uh, a ton and a half of information. But I wanted to see if we might be able to start off with some uh, really big picture items and the key findings, starting with what's the annual cost of global fraud? Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. That is incredibly hard uh, to estimate. And I will say right up front, like that, the, our, the best we can do is an estimate in there. And there are a few reasons why. One is um, fraud a lot of fraud goes unreported. Uh, so we don't know truly how much every organization is being victimized in, in any given time frame. 
the other thing is these schemes tend to last, you know, the, the median in our study is about 14 months, but we've seen cases that last 10 years. So even if you were able to take an accurate snapshot at any one point in time, company might not even know how much fraud it's got. And then the third big problem is even when these cases do get reported, they're not reported in any central way. So it's really hard to estimate. But what we do is a couple things. First, we take um, the cases we have and we look at uh, what the average cost is. And in this, in this study, the average cost was about 1.5 million, little over 1.5 million per fraud case. And I want to make, make it clear, that's not per company, that's per case of fraud. Now, the median which is, you know, typically if you line them up from, from the, the smallest to the biggest, just pick the one in the middle. The median was about $125,000. Um, and so that's probably more representative of the typical case. But the big number, the big global number is um, our members estimate a typical organization loses about 5% of its annual revenue to fraud. Uh, if you apply that to the gross world product worldwide, you end up with uh, a total global loss per year of around four and a half trillion dollars. Now that may be a little high, little low, but definitely we're into the trillions of dollars when we're talking about occupational fraud. It's almost certainly the most expensive form of financial crime in the world. Are stunning numbers, and one of the great things about this report is the fabulous graphics that uh, can present this uh, numerical data to uh, lawyers, even like myself. But I understand really what they uh, what the information tells us, and the the numbers that you just gave in terms of the average loss per case uh, can just be uh, uh, seven figures, and so. Um, in, in looking at this, um, it really paints a, uh, I don't want to say disheartening picture, but a picture that people need to, to pay attention to and listen. But it's not all doom and gloom because you do talk about some of the things that are seen as effective in fighting frauds. And one of those I wanted to, uh, to specifically ask you about is hotlines. Obviously, that's in the news a lot. It's become political, but it seems that the ACFEC's hotlines is a critical component in fraud fighting fraud. To your point about the graphics, a, a shout out to our uh, internal design team. The, the all the all the design is done um, by our in house group, and they do a great job of taking all this sort of nerdy data and, and clumping it together in ways that you can look at it and really get a picture of it. And one of the things um, we did is put together an infographic that everybody can download, but really highlighting the importance of hotlines. Um, we've been doing this study since. 1996. We've been gathering detection data in it since 2002. Every single time we've looked at, we ask a simple question, how was the fraud initially detected? And um, members who fill out these surveys are the people who investigated the cases. So this is firsthand knowledge. Every single year we do this, the number one way frauds are detected by a mile is through tips. It's uh, in this study, it was 43 percent. It's almost always somewhere between 40 and 45 percent. It's more than double the next most common detection method. So what that tells us is the the most efficient, effective way for you to catch fraud in your organization is by encouraging people to come forward and tell you what we've learned over the years is that somebody 
almost always somebody either knows or suspects that fraud is occurring. And so hotlines are absolutely critical. There's some data in here. Companies that had hotlines, their median loss per fraud case was about half of the loss of companies that didn't have hotlines. They also caught fraud six months quicker than the companies that didn't have hotlines. Um, that's one of the things, if, if we boil this down to like a couple key points I hope everybody takes away, it's that the best way to detect fraud is through tips. And so that means have a hotline program. And that when we're talking about having a hotline program, that doesn't just mean throwing up a phone number and ignoring it. Um, a, a really comprehensive hotline program goes hand in hand with employee education and training so they know how to report, they know what they should report, uh, they feel safe reporting. They know they won't be retaliated against. So anonymity is really important. And then you're constantly reinforcing that after they've reported, you're reinforcing that the company takes that seriously and they're following up on it. Because when somebody makes a report, you know, they put a lot on the line, right? There's a lot of concern, especially if they're reporting about a supervisor or somebody higher on the org chart. They need to know that, and they need to see that when I made that report, the company took it seriously and followed up. If, if they don't see that, then the motivation to come forward in the future is going to dry up. So that's really critical. John, about 18 months ago, there was an academic paper released which looked at the cost savings for companies that had robust reporting systems, not simply a hotline, but all of the, the panoply of tools, uh, attitudes, and access that you just described um, in place when a, when a tip comes in, when a report comes in on the hotline. And that re- that academic report found a material difference in uh, public companies spending on fines and penalties. And it seems to me the ACFE uh, fi- uh, report really demonstrates that it's not simply the reduction in legal fines and penalties, but also reduction in fraud and materially reducing your overall fraud costs going forward. Yeah, absolutely. You catch it quicker. You're going to minimize your losses. One of the characteristics of occupational fraud that is interesting is the schemes tend to last a long time and they get bigger toward the end. They sort of grow as the people get bolder and get more um, locked into this uh, pattern of behavior. So if you can cut it off, if you can lop six months off of a fraud duration, you're saving yourself a ton of money in losses. You're saying you're cutting off the the really expensive back end of the scheme. So it's 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 critical. So um, one of the graphics I really enjoyed uh, because I found it so educational was the fraud tree. I was wondering if you might explain what that is and some of the different ways it can be used just in the visual representation. You have it in this report. Yeah, absolutely. The fraud tree, the, the official title of it is the Occupational Fraud and Abuse Classification System. Obviously needed a, a, a catchier moniker. Uh, so uh, we developed this in 1996. It's inf- informally been known as the fraud tree ever since. And what it is, is um, from the very first report to the nations, uh, the, the sort of idea man behind it, the brains behind it, was our founder, Joseph T. Wells. And his idea was that after looking at these schemes for for years and years and years, that there weren't that many different schemes. They tended to clump into sort of definable categories, right? And But nobody had ever sort of uh, created a taxonomy so we could see all the different ways frauds uh, are committed against companies. So what we did is took 
all these cases and we organize them based on the type of scheme. So there are three main categories. You've got your corruption frauds, which is like bribery, uh, kickbacks, conflicts of interest. You got your financial statement frauds, which tend to be the big ones. And those are like your Enrons of WorldComs or financial reporting issues. And then you've got in the middle asset misappropriation. And that's where most of your schemes take place. And that's people doing billing fraud, payroll fraud, uh, stealing inventory, anything where your company's assets are being misappropriated. And so we we organize these all into definable categories. You've got cash frauds and non-cash frauds. You've got frauds involving incoming cash and frauds involving disbursements and so forth. Uh, But what's great about that is it creates a framework that organizations can use when they're um, looking at fraud risk. We know basically these are the schemes that could hit us now. Where could these hit us within our particular set of systems and controls? And the interesting thing is this started in 1996. That's a dinosaur age, right? That's pre-internet, everything. But the, the basic structure of the fraud tree hasn't changed. The schemes haven't really changed that much over the years. It's just the tools which, with which they're perpetrated have been updated in the computer age. John, I was wondering what are the five critical areas of occupational fraud reviewed in this year's report? So we try to look at five different components. We try to look at the schemes and the costs, meaning how do they do it? What did it cost? How long did it last? The basics of the fraud itself so we can understand how that works. Then we look at how was it detected? And so the people who answered the survey uh, provide several um, pieces of information about how the fraud got caught. Then the next thing we uh, ask for is information on the victim themselves and their, the control structure they had, what industry were they in, where were they located, so we can look for trends um, uh, that may exist based on geography or type of industry or whatever. Then we look at the perpetrators. You know, How high up were they? Um, what department did they work in? How long had they worked for the company? What was their gender? There's a lot of interesting stuff with gender, actually. And... Um, do they have a record? What were their behavioral uh, risk factors or, or red flags that they'd, they'd shown at the time they were stealing? And then the final thing is case results, which is what do companies do after they catch this? You know, Are they firing these people? Are they uh, taking them to court? We've seen a gradual trend over the last 10 to 12 years of a decline in criminal prosecutions or referring cases to uh, law enforcement, which is kind of um, something that's been a slow but steady decline over the years. So looking at all those, we try to get a, a sort of overall picture of how these frauds affect the organization basically from the moment they start until they get caught and get wrapped up on at, legally at the end. John, as you know, the name of this report is the FCPA Compliance Report. And although uh, this podcast is much broader than that, a large number of my listeners are in anti-bribery, anti-corruption uh, compliance work. I was wondering, what does this report tell us about corruption literally across the globe? Yeah, corruption is a huge, huge issue. Um, 43% of the case, so we looked at uh, 2,504 actual cases of fraud that ended up uh, making it into the study. Uh, again, reported by a member student investigator, 43% of those involved some form of corruption. And when we say that, we're, we're talking about bribery, extortion, conflict of interest, and illegal gratuities, 43% of cases. Um, 
in every we, we break the globe up into uh, eight distinct regions in every region corruption was the number one scheme and in every region except for the u.s and canada and western europe uh it accounted for more than 50 percent of cases corruption is absolutely huge uh in terms of loss average loss in a corruption case in this in the ones that we looked at was over three million dollars and the median was two hundred thousand so it's a little more expensive than your typical fraud and can be obviously really high when we're talking about a three million average um and then it tends to be what our data shows because we look at this with perpetrator characteristics tends to be committed by people higher up on the uh uh, on the org chart. So managers and executives are much more likely to do it than your lower level employees, which is one of the reasons the losses get so big. So, it, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's absolutely one of the highlights every year is seeing the, the, the high, uh, level of corruption cases that get reported to us. John, in addition to hotlines or tips, what are some of the other key, uh, detection or prevention areas for corruption? Well, yeah. And I mentioned hotlines and that is the number one way, uh, corruption cases uh, get detected according to our study. A lot of that is because when you've got, you know, collusion, sometimes that can uh, sort of, uh, that's sort of built to evade your, your standard uh, controls when you've got two or more people working in concert. So hotlines are key. And as I mentioned, hotlines combined with awareness and training. We look at a number of controls in our study and we just ask what happened uh, to organizations that had this control versus those that didn't. And we see hotlines and employee training and training for managers uh, scoring really highly. Also, um, having a code of conduct, having a fraud policy uh, tend to score really high in that in that metric and w- in particular with respect to corruption cases. And I think it's because um, there's a lot of gray area in corruption cases, right? Where, you know, is this a grease payment? Is it a bribe? Is this the way business gets done? If we're in an environment where you've got an employee who's not sure, is this allowed is, or, or not? Having a clearly defined fraud policy or code of conduct helps people draw that line. So again, going back to tips, somebody who otherwise might not be sure, should I be reporting this? If you make it clear to them, through your policies and training, yes, that's against the rules. You're more likely to get that report on the back end. And then the other thing I would say is one of the really interesting things we look at in this study is behavioral red flags. Um, Living beyond means is the number one behavioral red flag. This is We're asking about behavioral characteristics that people noticed before the fraud got caught. So if somebody had known what that meant, could they have recognized a fraud? Number one is living beyond means, and number, I think, three or four was close association with a vendor or a customer. So people are seeing behavior that you would associate with corruption, but they're not necessarily reporting it. And that gets back again to what we're talking about in terms of prevention and detection and utilizing hotlines. John, I don't know if it's because of my membership in the ACFE. I've been listening to you too long or something else, but when the... um, government announced the first round of bailouts, about the second thing I thought of was this could be one of the biggest uh, uh, opportunities for fraud that we've had in a long, long time, if, if not my entire lifetime. So I was wondering if we kind of move to present tense with both COVID-19 and all of the uh, funding that is moving to help that health crisis and, of course, the bailout 
Why uh, is fraud detection and prevention so much more critical today? And what's the ACFE's role in this? Yeah, it's it. This is a uh, we're already seeing people reporting that they're seeing a lot more fraud, and we expect it can to continue. If you go back to your the basic fraud triangle model, which is people commit fraud when there's pressure and opportunity and rationalization. Right now, there's a ton of um, motivation on the pressure side, right? We know that people tend to commit fraud when they're under serious financial strain. And so we've got, and from our data in the report, 61% of fraudsters were under some kind of financial distress at the time they committed their fraud. And 30% were concerned with their jobs or compensation. With the number of layoffs we've got, with people unsure about how they're, you know, how they're going to like pay the rent next month. You got a lot of motivation, a lot of financial pressure, but then to your point, Tom, there's so much opportunity now. I mean, the government is pouring trillions of dollars um, into these bailout programs, which obviously, I mean, have a lot of merit, but it's happening so fast. It's almost inevitable that you're going to see people trying to take advantage of that as we do with any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of situation where you've got a lot of money uh, pouring out in a, in a uh, rapid amount of time. You've also got other factors. So you've got uh, people working from home from the first time and companies are learning how to do this on the fly. You've got people scared about uh, their health or their well-being. So you've got a heightened risk of scams and uh, price gouging. And then you've got companies, you know, we talked about the layoffs. Um, when that's happening, you're seeing, you can see a reduced uh, emphasis on controls, on your uh, anti-fraud personnel and programs, or just working from home. We're already hearing from members who are having difficulty doing routine audits and things in a work-from-home environment. All that combines, you've got more pressure, more opportunity, and that's likely going to mean more fraud. And then the other thing is, Warren Buffett used to say, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked, right? There's all these... In, in a boom economy, a strong economy where there's a lot of cash floating around, you can cover up a fraud for a long time. But when, the, when that dwindles, a lot of frauds that were already being perpetrated get exposed. So we expect to see more new frauds popping up and also a lot of existing frauds being detected now as cash flows dwindle with a lot of companies. So we're gonna, it's going to be a big time for fraud for the next few years, I think. Is that something the ACFE is really going to try to lead the discussion on around uh, all of these topics for its members and for others? Yeah, in fact, we're posting some stuff on our website right now. We have a COVID resource center. And I was just actually looking at a couple things today. We've done a, a study of a survey of members asking for um what they're seeing in terms of a, a number of new uh, or, or a number of different kinds of fraud like phishing and cyber fraud and so forth. Uh, and a couple of key questions. Are you seeing increases already? And I believe I'm, I believe it was 90 percent are already seeing increases. Wow. And then there's also uh, the second part of that is what do you expect to see in the next six to 12 months? in similar numbers. Our members expect to see more fraud. We're working really hard, too, to um, make the uh, make the pitch to organizations and companies. I know when cutbacks happen, there's a there's a sometimes a temptation to cut the non-revenue generating staff. But cutting your anti-fraud staff in an environment like this is absolutely the wrong thing to do. I go back to the numbers we talked about at the start, 1.5 million average fraud loss. Um, you 
you make yourself more vulnerable right now at a time where pressure and opportunity are high and you're really going to pay the pay the price for that down the road. So it's really important and we're trying to emphasize companies need to to lock down controls, um, be as vigilant as they can and just be aware of the risk that's that's out there right now because it's really, really high. Well, John, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted more information on either the 2020 Reports of the Nations or ACFE. Where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our website is acfe.com, and on there on the homepage, you'll see a link to the Report to the Nations. And it's a, I want to emphasize this is a free resource. We do this as a public service. It's an 80-page report. Uh, you can download it. You can email it. Uh, share it, save it, give it to your clients, give it to your managers. Um, if you go to our our webpage, uh, acfe.com slash RTTN, we've got a lot of other information as well. We've got infographics so you can pull out so you can get just sort of a one-page view of the benefits of hotlines or, you know, the profile of a perpetrator. You can get slides. You can get graphs from the report that you can put into your own PowerPoints if you're going out and making presentations a lot of stuff, and we just want to uh, disseminate this as broadly as possible because we think it's a really, really important issue that not enough organizations are aware of the risks they're facing. Well, I absolutely agree. So, John, uh, I hope we can continue the discussion. Thank you so much, Tom. I hope so as well, and uh, take care and stay safe. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you will join me for next week's episode where I take up another topic of FCPA or compliance-related. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thank you again for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.